Um, if you want to be turning in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 6, that's where we'll be this morning. In 1871, the um, Gates-Spofford family, uh, that, that hymn was written by Horatio Gates-Spofford, and um, the Spofford family was, um, he and his wife um, were in the U.S., they were, I believe, a British family. No, American family. Just really wealthy. And um, they were, they owned some property in Jerusalem. And I actually got to, got to go there. It's a, a really cool place called the American Colony. And so when you've been in Israel for almost two weeks and you're really jonesing for a uh, bacon cheese burger, which are three things you cannot find together, Bacon you can't find at all, and cheese and meat together you can't find. And so when you're really jonesing for some non-kosher food, that is like the place to go. And so Pastor Andy uh, took us there. It was, it was just this beautiful place. It was, it, was this, it was the Spofford family ranch there in, um, at that time, British-occupied um, Israel. And so anyway, he and his family were, were getting ready to return to that property. But in 1871, um, there was a terrible tragedy that happened known as the Chicago Fire that burned for days and days and days and revolutionized fire safety in the building industry. But um, the Spofford family also owned property in Chicago. And so before they returned to the family ranch in Jerusalem, um, Horatio Gates Spofford needed to check on some of their properties and to assess the damage or if... Uh, their properties had been damaged there in the Chicago fire. And so he sent his family ahead of him over to Jerusalem by boat while he went to Chicago um, to check on those properties. And unbeknownst to him, on the way across the Atlantic, his family, and many of you may be familiar with this story, but his family, uh, the, the, the boat was caught in a storm and sank, and his whole family perished his wife and his kids. And that's why he wasn't on the boat. So then when he, a, few, a, a couple, you know, I don't know, if a year or so later returned, finally made the voyage over back to the family ranch there in Jerusalem, he took a boat across the Atlantic and right around the same spot where his family had sunk to their peril, he wrote that hymn, It is well with my soul. Some of you, I, I was familiar with that story, but I had no idea it was Jerusalem that they were on their way to. And uh, it, was, it was pretty impactful. It was really neat to, to step into this, what is now a, a hotel and a restaurant, but at the time was, uh, you know, and it's still owned by that family. Um, and they had a, in, a, in a glass case, a, um, well, it used to be the original, but now a, a copy of the original on Chicago, a Chicago hotel letterhead the words to it as well with my soul. I wanted to share that um, partly because we have, we've sang the song, but also it, it ties in really well with our passage this morning. And I, I, I kind of teased this last week a little bit um, as, as, we, as we are nearing this kind of midpoint in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is, is making a point. And this week's passage is the application of that point. And so turn with me, if you're already there, uh, Matthew chapter 6, 
and we will we will pick it up where we left off last week. In verse 25, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will wear, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, Even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. May God bless the reading of his word. This, um, like, like I mentioned before, Jesus is, making, Jesus is making a cohesive point throughout this whole sermon. And, 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 if, you, and if you missed it, I, I want to bring us all along here. And, and just as a, as a by way of reminder, what Jesus is talking about through all of chapter 6 and in you know really all, all of what what we now call chapter six is is this idea we talked about a lot last week this idea of investment and return this idea of 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 reward and and what what something benefits you and, and the idea that that he uses money as kind of the language but he's saying if you you invest in the wrong thing you know play stupid games win stupid prizes if you if you um Invest in things here on earth, your rewards will be here on earth and not in God's kingdom for eternity. And it's, in, it's powerful the way he, he, he makes this point about spiritual investment and how you can make spiritual investments here on earth instead of in heaven when we do them with the wrong heart, when we pray for the attention of others, when we give for the, for the attention or respect of our peers, when we, um, when we fast to appear to others as something other than we, you know, something that we are not, when, we're, when we are what Jesus calls hypocrites, our reward, our full and complete reward is just that, the attention, admiration, respect of our peers, 
That's something that goes away. But when we do those same things with a heart that is to, that is to honor God, that is to demonstrate our trust in God, to bring glory to God, our reward is with God in heaven and is never corrupted and is for eternity. And so, and so he, he made that point last week in that passage where he talked about do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, uh, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And now he's talking about anxiety. That is a word we hear a lot now. I'm not going to ask anyone to raise hands. But I'm going to try really hard not to unnecessarily step on any toes this morning, but I may step on some toes this morning because a favorite thing that I hear a lot is I have anxiety. And Jesus speaks to it. So we're not going to tiptoe around what Jesus said, but when the, when the God of heaven speaks to a specific issue, we need to pay attention particularly if something in our lives is out of alignment with what God says. Jesus says, do not be anxious about anything. And we like to say, I have anxiety. So I don't know, you tell me, do these things, are these things compatible? I want to suggest that they're not. Here's what I'm not saying. This is my other pastor friends who ask me about this all the time, that I spend a lot of time saying what I'm not saying and talking about what I'm going to say before I finally get around to saying it. But I think it's important that I say some caveats here. I am not saying that the anxiety you may experience is not real. I'm not saying that. I'm not even saying that there... Okay, there's, there's several different, you know, there, there are some times when, you are, when we get anxious about a specific thing. Oh, the money's running out and there's more months left. We get a little anxious. Or, you know, all, all kinds of other, like there, there are, there are, there's, a, there's a kind of anxiety that has a very definable cause. And that is kind of the effect in our lives. That, I mean, is that illegitimate? I mean, we... We, uh, we get a little worried when, thing, when we start to realize how out of our control uh, some things are. There's another kind of anxiety that doesn't seem to have a discernible cause. All of a sudden, I was driving down the road. This is not a real story for me, but like, you know, sometimes it's the example of like, all of a sudden, you're driving down the road and your heart starts beating really fast and you start swaying. You think you're going to maybe pass out. It is, it is the, your body is reacting. It's like your body is betraying you. Your body and your mind are, are freaking out and, 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 and there's this anxiety that doesn't really, it just came out of a clear blue sky and doesn't really have a discernible, discernible cause. Like, that, that is, that is also real. And so I just want to be really clear that I am not talking down to those in the room that struggle with anxiety, whether it has a discernible cause or not. I understand that they're, that they're both real. Um, and my, my wife 
would share with you. I wish she were in the room. I think she can hear me even if she's out there. But she would share with you that in the, in the postpartum period of, of having children, she has at times really, really struggled with just this anxiety and like panicky feelings that, 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 that come from nowhere. There's no discernible cause. And, she, and, and, you, and you, of course, you know that it's hormonally related or whatever. And it's, and it's just this, um, it's not something you can fix. And she would tell you that the times that she has succeeded the most in that are the times when she fought that as a spiritual battle. Because what Jesus is talking about is not, anxiety is not code for something other than anxiety. It's anxiety. That's what he's talking about. And, and I, I want to dig into what he's talking about without talking down to anybody, but just as we come to God's word and bring our lives with us and we clearly look at our lives in God's word and look for ways to come into better alignment with it. And I think that should always be our goal. There are some passages that are easier than others to do that because they are um, either things we don't struggle with or maybe sin issues that are not on the list of acceptable sins that we've decided we're okay with. <laughs> um, and so, so anyway, as, as we, I, I wanted to kind of give that caveat um, and I want to be clear about that. I'm also not telling anybody in here to stop taking medication that the doctor has put them on. I am not qualified to make those determinations, so that's not what I'm saying. But the first word in this passage is therefore. And so it's really important that we couch this teaching on anxiety in the rest of what Jesus has been talking about. And so Jesus has been has been talking about, I mean, through chapter 5, he talked about the kinds of people that God's kingdom has in it. The, 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 the type of people that get ahead in God's kingdom. And I put that in quotes because it's kind of a weird way to think of it and probably not really even a biblical way to think of it, but, but it's a way that we kind of understand like what is, what is valued and respected and held in high regard in God's kingdom is very different than what our world holds in high regard. There was, there's a lesson on a lot of other specific issues and, and, then, and then this teaching about, so there's, there's, there's teaching about how we interact with others and then there's, there's teaching about how we ought to interact with God separately from our inter interaction with others. In other words, do privately what we ought to do privately, do publicly what we ought to do publicly. The things that are between you and God ought to be between you and God how to pray, and then this lesson on, on spiritual investment, and now this teaching on anxiety. And the, and the way that this all comes together is the, 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 the last, you know, that teaching on investment kind of wraps up the explanation of what he's been teaching. This is the application of that. The application is this. How can we be anxious, and trust in God, the King of the universe and our Heavenly Father. And Jesus is saying, <laughs> he understands this is a struggle that we have, but that there is an answer to it. I, I want that to be clear too. Je the very fact that Jesus is addressing it tells us that he understands. 
He gets it. He knows that this is an area that we constantly struggle with. He's not beating people up and, and trying to tell them how stupid they are for, for not you know, keeping in the front of their minds that God's in control and sitting on the throne. He's addressing an issue that is common to all of us. Matthew Henry had some, some things to say about it. Some of the, the, um, some of the church, church fathers, as we, as we call them, had some great things to say about this passage, and I want to share some of those um, from my study with you. And one of the things Matthew Henry said is, there is scarcely any sin against which our Lord Jesus more warns his disciples than disquieting, distracting, and distrustful cares about the things of this life. We struggle so much to have an eternal perspective, and and Jesus, uh, I, I... I think particularly of his time praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the disciples just can't stay awake. They're so tired, which, can we be honest? We get that. Anybody who has kids gets that for sure, but I think we all get that. We struggle to have an eternal perspective and realize that like the pressing need of right now, that mountain we can't see around, is going away. It's not lasting forever. We need to have an eternal perspective. There's scarcely any sin against which our Lord Jesus more warns his disciples than disquieting, distracting, distrustful cares about the things of this life. This often ensnares the poor as much as the love of wealth does the rich. That's telling. Some of us have been broke long enough. We read all the stuff about wealth, and we're like, well, I ain't, gonna, I ain't struggling with that because I don't, I don't have that problem. Um, yeah, we, have, we all have our own version of these different problems. He goes on to say, Matthew Henry goes on to say, thoughtfulness, thoughtfulness for our souls is the best cure of thoughtfulness for the world. Seek first the kingdom of God and make religion your business Say not that this is the way to starve. No, it is the way to be well provided for, even in this world. Any of you that have ever spent um, any part of your career in ministry or at any point pursued ministry, maybe got warnings from relatives that, uh, hey, that's great you're doing that. Um, You might starve. Or, or the one I get all the time because I have all girls is, boy, that's a lot of weddings to pay for on a pastor's salary. I say, that's okay. I'm going to get the officiant for free, I'm pretty sure. <clears throat> but that, that's where we go, isn't it? How, how are we going? Well, if, if, you, if you decide to serve God with your life, that's great. You're making some eternal investments. But how are you going to provide for? How are you going to be cared for in this life? Which, which in reality kind of betrays this idea that we really don't think God's going God's to take care of us. But any of you that have spent time in ministry know that even though those of us in ministry struggle with that, is God going to take care of us? Do I need to pick up some side hustle? Do, does my, does my you know, wife need to work in, you know, in addition? And I'm not saying that that's wrong, but you know, like these, as we make these kind of decisions, often that is, that is one of the struggles that we have is, is God going to care for me? And my family. And, and this is what's so beautiful about the fact that Jesus knows our struggle. Jesus knows not just the thing that we do that's wrong, but the heart behind why we do it. How do we know that? Well, he goes on 
he addresses the issue. We get anxious about, you know, the basic things of this life. And he directs our attention to birds, which I appreciate because I am an unembarrassed bird nerd. I notice them everywhere. Any of you that have ever met with me outdoors will know that I, I don't see squirrels, I see birds. And I'll probably show you pictures of birds that I've seen. It's, it's a problem, but, but apparently it's sanctified because Jesus uh, told us to pay attention. But he said, look at the birds of the air. And, and this, is, this is such a valid point. A bird's life is never-ending, a never-ending search for food. Think about that. They never stop looking for food. They don't store it up. I mean, ants. Ants store up food. Birds don't. And Jesus, Jesus tells us here that it is God who feeds the birds. John Calvin said of that something that this was probably the thing, one of the things that hit me the hardest in, this, in my study this week. He said, which of us is in the habit of considering that the bird's life depends on the providence of God, which he is pleased to extend even to them? We don't think that. We don't think that God is the one feeding the birds, but rather that they're just good at catching stuff or whatever. We think of them as going and, going and getting all the food. But, but it, God feeds them. And, and which of us actually thinks of it that way? But he says, if, but if it is thoroughly fixed in our minds that the fowls are supplied with food by the hand of God, there will be no difficulty in expecting it for ourselves who are formed after his image and reckoned among his children. What a powerful thought on this passage. Because we don't think that way. We think, wow, that's really cool the way, uh, you know, Osprey are the best fishermen on the lake. And wow, that's a real jerk move that eagles will literally steal their fish from them because they're not quite as good at it. And you know, like there's all these little things that, you know, it's like, wow, that's really cool. They're really good at kids. No, God feeds them. He, he later in this, uh, in, a, in another passage, he mentions, he mentions um, that God feeds even the young crows. And he may well have been referencing um, a, a passage in, in Psalms. Or, uh, oh, no, this, this, this passage here where he talks about the bird, God feeding the birds of the air is very likely referencing a passage in Psalms in which uh, David writes that, that God feeds the young crows. And why would he mention that? Well, young crows are abandoned by their parents very early in life. But, you know, th their parents don't teach them to catch things the same way. But it's okay. Crows are wicked smart. They can, they can learn to sing God Save the Queen or, I don't know, something like that. I mean, they... God feeds them. The hand of God feeds even them. And yet we wonder if it will supply our needs. We do. It, and can, can, we just, can we just admit, we do. We struggle. I say we because I'm, I'm right in there. I'm not, I'm not special because I'm a pastor. I, I, I am human like the rest of us, I promise. 
I don't think anyone's questioning that. Um, we all struggle with that. I, but, but the thing is, I, I think sometimes we get this idea that, oh, people, and people choose a career in ministry, it must be super spiritual. I don't know, maybe nobody's thinking that either. Um, <laughs> I know at least some of the room is not thinking that, but. But we do. We struggle to actually believe that God is actually paying attention to us and is actually aware of our needs and will actually supply them. And we, and we think that we need to, we think that we need to, and, and uh, again, this is this difficult balance that we have to find because it is good for us to work. It is good for us to plan ahead. It is good for us to consider the ant and store up for winter. Well, not so much down here, but... Um, in colder places, that's important. But it, it's good for us to do those things, and, and yet we, in doing so, can develop this subconscious thought that it is our own hand that supplies our needs. I think there's, a, there's an old poem called Invictus, and the end of it is, uh, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. What a sad commentary. Because, I don't know about you, but I am acutely aware of my ability to screw things up. And if my own provision depends on my own hand, I know that that will fail. In fact, John Calvin later in his commentary said, Though other means fail, and all others will, the providence of God is alone sufficient for us. That is powerful. The providence of God is alone sufficient for us. The old, the old hymn, I can't remember which one, says, Thy grace, all-sufficient, will be my supply. The all-sufficient hand of God that supplies our every need. He goes on, he says, Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. I think we're afraid sometimes that if we trust God instead of ourselves to supply our needs, that that he'll decide we don't actually need some of the things that we really need, and we're going to end up, you know, living in a tent, and, you know, hey, you got a roof over your head, don't complain. You know, it's like we, we kind of think that, like, if we allow God to drive that, then we're going to always get the short end of the stick, everybody's going to walk all over us, and that that's not safe for us or our families. Jesus says in another passage, which of you, which of you, if your son asks you for a fish, will give him a snake instead? He said, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to his children whom he loves? But we don't think of God that way a lot of times. A lot of times we think, that, well, you know, I'm trusting God with, you know, the big stuff, but... Um, you know, the little stuff I got to take care of myself. Why? Because God doesn't care about those things? God clothes the grass of the field in a way that King Solomon, which represents the pinnacle of the earthly kingdom of Israel. There is no other king under whom the borders of Israel were larger, 
the wealth of Israel was more, more displayed. There's no other king that is held in higher regard except David, just because he's kind of like the OG uh, good guy king. But like King Solomon represents wealth and prosperity in Jewish culture. He's saying even Solomon in all of his splendor did not clothe himself the way I clothe the grass of the field. He is saying the things that come from my hand are even better than the best things you could ever hope to provide for yourself. Provision from God is always better than worldly provision. John Wesley said, how kind are these precepts? Well, I went deep on the uh, church fathers this week. It was great. Um, how kind are these precepts? The substance of which is only this. Do thyself no harm. Let us not be so ungrateful to him, nor so injurious to ourselves as to harass and oppress our minds with that burden of anxiety which he has so graciously taken off. Now that's, that's powerful. When we were adopted into God's family and became his children, one of the most beautiful things that he did was to relieve us of that burden, the burden of cares, the burden of providing for ourselves, the burden of uncertainty of the future, the burden of of, of all these things that we carry, when we became God's children, we were adopted into a family with a good father who we can trust with all of these things. He relieved us of that burden. I'm reminded, and I didn't go back and look at it, but in, in Pilgrim's Progress, if you're familiar with that story, there's a, I, I believe there is a, um, isn't there another traveler that he runs into that, that keeps picking up his burden even though he doesn't have to? I don't remember, I pulling this out of, out of a deep gray matter somewhere. I don't know. There's something in there about that. I need to give that one a read again. But God has so graciously taken off, and, and, it, and it injures only ourselves when we continue to carry it. I want to, I want to kind of wrap this up into some application, and then I want to, we're going to spend a few moments in prayer. Um, but the last point that I really want to make here is Jesus says something that we don't pick up on as Western thinkers that the first century Jewish people that he's speaking to immediately understood. And he says here, O oh, you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. When he says, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, he is saying, when we are consumed with anxiety over our provision, over tomorrow, over whatever, the, 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 the cares of this world, we are saying, in effect, I don't know or believe God. 
that's the point of the Gentiles. Gentiles in first century Jewish writing represents those who do not know God. Those who do not know God carry that burden of anxiety all the time. And, and so sometimes it's overwhelming and sometimes they think they've got this. But he's saying that when you are anxious about those things, you're acting as though you don't believe in God or that you don't know him or that you don't trust him. And I think that's probably the bigger one. I don't think any of us would say we don't believe in God. None of us would say we don't know him. But I think if we're honest with ourselves, we would have to admit that there are times, maybe a lot of times, that we struggle to trust him. That his word is true and that he really does love us. And I don't know, maybe, some, maybe sometimes that, that struggle to trust comes from the fact that we know ourselves, or at least pretty well, we know how sinful we are. We know our own hearts. We know, we know the sinful thoughts that never made it into actions. And maybe sometimes we struggle to trust God because we know that God knows those things too. And how could he love and provide for a sinner like me if he knows all those things? And I think it's important, it's one of the reasons why we read an assurance of pardon from Scripture every week, because we need to be reminded constantly that God does not hold a grudge toward us because of what he had to do to save us. Jesus did all the work. He took all of God's wrath to give us his righteousness. He gave us standing with God the Father so that God isn't still thinking about our sin. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. We struggle to remember that. And I think sometimes we can, we can listen to that voice, which is really a voice from the devil who is, the, the name Satan means accuser. He is the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us before God, and he accuses us in our own minds to ourselves, does he not? To call to our minds all of the reasons why we are not worthy of God's love and God's provision and God's watchful care over us. Because if we can be consumed by those things, consumed by the cares of this world. You know what we're not having a lot of capacity for? Seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That is what Jesus is calling us to do. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. He's not saying be a good enough Christian and God will give you all the, all the material stuff that you always wanted. You know, kind of like a reverse psychology thing. Hey, you know, pretend like you don't want it and then God will give it to you. That's not what he's saying. This is not a prosperity gospel thing. This is not a you need Jesus in your life because he'll make your life better. Your life in ways will get better. Your life in some ways will get harder. But your standing before Almighty God is by far our bigger problem. And so what he's saying is when you become a child of God, he cares for you. 
He watches over you. He knows you. He will provide for you. You can trust him. You know, as we look back over what we've studied so far, in so many ways, we look to those around us when we ought to look to our Heavenly Father. Whether it be for approval, whether it be for help, whether it be for our provision. We look around us, to the people around us, to the uh, work of our hands, the opportunities in front of us. We, We look to so many things other than the hand of God. And I love the words of the psalmist who wrote, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. I want to I close with a kind of a, a, a reminder about this from the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, right before the verse everybody knows of 6 and 7. Maybe you didn't realize you also know these ones. Paul says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You want the peace of God? Guys, when we struggle with anxiety, when that, when that feeling captures us, when our hearts and minds betray us, and our bodies react accordingly. Can I just suggest that when Scripture tells us that the way to have the peace of God is to trust Him, to be reminded of Him, to pray, to be in Scripture, that Jesus and the Apostle Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, are telling us, we know. God's saying, I know. I know this is a real thing. I know this is a thing you struggle with. There is an answer. There is an answer. Your help comes from the Lord. I want to spend a few minutes. Kara's going to come up and um, I think she's within the hearing of the sound of my voice. Um, Kara's going to come in and... um, and actually, the worship team is going to come up and play um, softly. A song that's probably very familiar to us. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And um, we're going to take just a, just a few minutes to pray. And um, I just want us all to just bow our heads for a few minutes and take stock of, of our own lives, our own hearts, I I don't know. I don't know everyone in here intimately well. I don't know the things that we all struggle with. But if you're in this room and I have anxiety has become almost an identifying label in your life. I think we need to take a harder look at whether or not we trust God. 
So let's take a few moments to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the reminder that you know our needs, but you don't just know them. It is well within your capacity to supply them. Thank you for the reminders, even as we just look around your creation, that you supply the needs for your creation. Thank you that as bearers of your image, we can trust you even more. God, it's our prayer this morning that you would give us the faith to trust you more. You've proved yourself over and over and over again that you can and you will care for us. You can and you have taken that burden away from us. Oh, for grace to trust you more. May this be the prayer of our heart this morning. May we be reminded of this truth throughout the weeks to come in Jesus' name. Amen.